Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. Today is your official kickoff to Monday. Welcome to the work week. I'm just coming off the heels of Stay at Home Dad Con last week. Amazing conference, amazing time. I'll save Father and Friday for a little bit of diving into that. But today, I want to dive into today's topic because it's like none we've ever had before. Stephen Lawson is on the podcast today to talk about his product, the Monk Manual. Now, the Monk Manual could be looked at as just another productivity planner, but that would be wrong. I've talked about it a few times here in the podcast that the Monk Manual is this idea of being able to journal gratitude, talk about, pause, reflect on life, but also make sure that you're focusing on the things that you need to get done. So it has this nice hybrid way of looking at life, and it's based on some of the same fundamental things that monks use and the monks bring into their life to create peace, and those are wired into the different structures of the monk manual and how you show up with your life. So I recorded this episode way back in July, and I've been really looking forward to getting it out to you guys because, like I said, it's not something we've talked about before. It's not something we've even really experimented with talking about productivity, but it is something that we desperately need on this podcast, so I was really looking forward to getting this out because he talks about this feeling and this need that productivity led him to, looking for peace, and that no matter how productive he was, he still didn't really find peace, and man, if we're military veterans not looking for peace... I don't know who else is because that's almost exactly that feeling that we're chasing, that calm feeling on the inside. So like I said, Stephen's episode today, perfect episode to tee up this conversation, introduce it. And also there is a link down in the show notes to get 10% off on the Monk Manual to go give it a shot. You can also use code VETDAD to get 10% as well. Or like I said, the link down in the show notes will take care of that 10% for you. And you also are supporting the podcast by purchasing it through that link. So Without further ado, let's just get into this episode because I know you're excited. I know I juiced it up with Stephen Lawson and hang on to the other side for my big takeaway. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Hey, thank you so much, Ben. It's great to be here. I'm excited for this episode because it's an entirely new topic. It's an entirely new product, and we've never like fully opened up this idea of journaling and how it can actually be kind of a therapeutic process for you. And you are the founder and creator of the Monk Manual. So tell us a little bit about your family life and tell us a little bit about where you were when you said like, I need something that currently doesn't exist in the world. Yeah, sure. So I am married, have three kids, one who is nine, one who is six, one who is three. So it's pretty busy. Um, and in general, I've, I've, I'm, I'm someone who likes to stay busy. I, I would consider myself in general, probably a hard worker. So something that actually ended up coming up for me was kind of in my career, getting really focused on productivity. I spent a, a number of years really trying to better optimize my life, be able to get more done. Oftentimes when people think about like a career, for example, they, they think, okay, if I can get more done, then maybe I can make more money. I can maybe move up the ladder if they're doing that whole thing. And so I was, um, I was really focused on the productivity piece and ended up finding that it was really robbing me of my peace. So one of the things I worked out after the fact, I wouldn't have been able to name this at the time, but 
at the root, my, my real desire behind productivity was a desire for peace, right? It was this trying to get to a point of like feeling okay. And um, what I was finding was the more productive I was getting in the way I understood productivity, uh, the less peace I had. So um, around that same time, you know, these different tensions coming up in my life, um, I started seeing a connection between what I was reading from psych in psychology in productivity literature, and then also in a lot of um, spiritual wisdom and seeing this really interesting overlap around some principles of kind of how to approach life that seemed to lead to a higher level of human flourishing that really in a strange way was most predominantly lived out monks, almost as if uh, monks had created this system of life, a way of approaching life that was optimized around uh, human flourishing around connection around meaning um, so that really intrigued me. And that's what led to the monk manual. This, this idea of, is it possible to take that model and, and, and take what we can for people living in the world? Cause obviously most of us can't go and leave, leave their lives and go to a monastery, monastery, right? We have kids, we have responsibilities here. So let's go to the origin. Cause I'm interested. Did you have the vocabulary to articulate or even understand that this world of Eastern way of life was out there? Or did you have to like let go of stories that were in your life that said that maybe like an eight to five job is where men are supposed to go. Your purpose is about your work. Peace is something that doesn't exist for men because we're just meant to provide. Did you have to kind of grow through that to find it? Or did you already have some environment that was already kind of maybe planting some seeds of that Eastern way of life? Well, so what's on one front, what's actually really interesting is um, looking at monasticism coming from the East, right? And when you think of the East, it might be Hinduism, it might be Buddhism. There's, there's actually different types of monasticism over there. But even Eastern Orthodoxy is technically would be an Eastern practice. Uh, and then you also have the Western practice, which maybe is Anglican, Catholic, whatever it might be. There's, there, it's, it's a pretty big ocean. What I actually found was that the core behind that is is pretty much the same, right? It's it's the the um, maybe endpoints and certainly the language around a monastic practice is different across these groups, uh, but the goal is very much the same. This the system of life is very much the same. They're they're trying to kind of plug into the same practices and principles. Um, so I I was I was um, picking up on that. I, I had somewhat of a background in. Uh, these different ways. I've actually been interested in world religion since I was in high school. I have, I was like a kind of a weird guy who was reading about history and different spiritual paths at, at, at a pretty young age. Um, but b beyond that, I actually think what was happening was I was finding a relatively high level of success in my career. And the thing is, it's like, we're, we're all born and we're kind of programmed for purpose, right? Uh, Carl Jung, the psychologist would say that we actually can't live without meaning, right? Like we, it's actually a need. We need meaning, right? So what gets us out of bed is because we think there's meaning, right? That there's something we can do. We have some sort of agency over our lives. And I think actually what was happening was um, we, we have in our culture, um, kind of these formulas of meaning, like these ways where we think, okay, if I go and do this or that, it's like a game and we try and figure out the game. And then if we win the game, it's like, okay, then we, we got to the place we want to go. I actually felt like I played the game that is kind of this normal cultural game. You go 
try and do well in the career, this and that. And as the, the more success I actually had, the more I realized that the game was, uh, didn't lead to the results that I thought it would. Right. It's, it's the reason it's actually one of the blessings I think of someone who ends up, um, maybe succeeding in an immense way in, on a career path or, or becomes maybe very financially well off is they end up realizing that actually what they thought that was going to be is not actually what it is. And then it gives them the opportunity to go and see if there's maybe something more to it, um, more to life. So I think that was going on as well. Right. And, and there's this question, cause the thing is, is uh, um, the choice of a monk to go and leave the world is a really radical choice because they're basically saying like, I'm playing a totally different game. Right. And, and, and that's why I think actually monasticism is like a very powerful, potent thing because it really strikes to the root of some core questions of like, what is life really about? Right. What does it really mean to go and kind of grow personally? It's, it's, it's a, it's a radically different path, which is part of why it's really effective as, as a model to look at in our own lives. What season of life were you at when you were kind of going through this transition? Did you have kids or was it before kids or was it kind of like I followed the American dream? Because like my story is I followed what the Marine Corps had told me was the path to the American dream, get a degree, get a job, start a family, get a house, get car payments, but end up being the American hell instead of the American dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I had so so this is the, the difficulty about even talking about the monk manual is it's hard to say, okay, it started at this exact moment, right? I could go back to when I was in high school and there being certain quotes that kind of put me on a certain path or one lesson, you know, it's funny, like high school, I feel like I don't remember 99% of it, but there's like a few small chunks that had a big impact on me. Um, so, so it kind of had, when we talk about it, it um, how it was coming together, it was, it's, it's kind of a long, prolonged period of time. But when I started getting really serious about it and when the insights really started coming together, um, it was after my first son and I don't know. Yeah, it was after my first son, probably around the time when I had one or two kids. Um, but again, it's, it, it wasn't, um, necessarily a clear cut, uh, thing, but, uh, but I, you know, it is interesting. I don't, how many kids do you have? Three. Mine are very similar ages, nine, six, and five. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because a lot of people want to have kids, right? Like you, there's something in us where there were, we, a lot of people are, they desire having kids and there's kind of even an image of what having kids is and having kids is not really the same thing as the image you have of having kids. In some ways it's better. In other ways, it's maybe worse. It's just different, right? Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a whole different type of thing. And I do think that there's different questions um, that come up uh, alongside that. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it's, there are bigger questions of anytime you have life, uh, a big life transition, like new life comes into the world or life leaves the world. I think there's a lot of questions that come up around just the whole scope of life, what it's all about. Right. So actually when I was launching the monk manual, I'd been gearing up for about a, a year, uh, building this thing in a very active way. And then I was going to launch it on Kickstarter, right? And uh, about two months beforehand, uh, my dad ended up having a stroke. And then he, he died actually in the middle of my Kickstarter, right? And so I'm in this thing where already it's such like a crazy life transition because I'm going and doing this entrepreneurship thing, which is already like an insecure thing. I have a new kid. It was like such a crazy time. 
Um, and so it just becomes this place where you, where you question more and more when those st things start coming up. Right. And that's one of the reasons I actually ended up moving back to Buffalo was specifically, um, this, th that, that, that instance of going through that kind of that tension of, of launching this company, of having the kind of birth of my daughter, loss of my father, this, this almost sense of urgency, not in a way where there's, there's pressure, but there are these moments in life that make you think, all right, like I could go and kind of drag this out and not address these questions for quite some time, but this is not that long of a life, right? It really isn't. We often think of our life as kind of um, uh, being this infinite uh, period of time that we have, right? And then eventually it stops where we have like this last moment, this last final moment. But I, I find it really helpful where I actually think of it as like every moment is my last moment of that moment, right? We, we just have, it's not like this is, uh, this moment's dying just as much as my last moment's dying. There's just the last moment's the last moment to die. But every moment that passes is another moment that kind of has this infinite potential for me to do what I want to do in it. And it's never going to happen again. Right. So there, there is, I guess, a sense of urgency I carry around it. And that certainly did come up at that time. I veered a bit there, but you're fine. Cause I want to illuminate something or just kind of, uh, illuminate the dichotomy that you had to grow through because what early in the our episode here, you've talked about how like the monk manual, you were trying to search for the, this piece within this productivity and the irony that you were trying to launch this, essentially a peace manual to create and carve that piece in the middle of a hurricane almost. You've got something as joyful as welcoming your daughter, but as like overwhelming as like, wow, what was, did we really think this was a good idea type questions after she's born and you're losing your sleep and you're like just burnt out. But then at the same time, you're processing the loss and you had to have been like, I feel anything but peace right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's two levels to that. I mean, one I would say is, I don't want to say I have a chip on my shoulder because it's not like I'm being driven by a, a negative energy per se. But the thing is, it's like when I look at the productivity world or even I get you could say maybe the self-help like success world, a lot of it's kind of about this like go and um, become materially well off in this way or that way. Or you can kind of go and crush your goals, all these different things. And because of the way I'm actually programmed. I'm, I'm, I'm really good at doing that. And I don't mean that in an arrogant sense, but like it, it's, it's a really simple formula for me. It's, it's really easy to achieve essentially anything if you're willing to sacrifice everything else. And I'm really good at tunnel vision, right? I'm really good at saying like, all right, I'm going to go and just totally drive, drive, drive in this one area. And if you do that enough, you will generally speaking succeed unless you do a lot of stupid things. Uh, and that's what people do, right? So it's like this idea of, oh, hey, we're going to go and optimize our whole life around this one sector. And then sometimes that's really tragic because you end up sacrificing all these other things that are potentially more meaningful. So there is almost like this little bit of a chip on my shoulder towards that dynamic. Um, but because I, I come out of that, because, I'm, um, because my natural state is to be, quote unquote, a doer, the monk manual is really a, a, a tool that was made for my, out of my own weakness, right? It's, it's, it's actually a tool. Like I'm actually not that good at living with a sense of peace and presence. Like that's not, you that's actually not, launched a product that you really needed in that moment yeah. to help kind of create that balance between being a, a overachiever and trying to just be okay with exactly where things are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'm not even ashamed of that because I, I really believe that it's, it's the person who it's like, if you struggle with a weakness for a long period of time, you know, that weakness, right? You felt out all the edges of it. 
you know, you know what it is because you've had to really wrestle with it. Right. And so it was kind of through going through that, that I was able to, I, I think, arrive at some different insights because I had to actually live it. I wasn't living like the, the monk manual doesn't really come out of, uh, theory. I mean, there is theory involved. There's, there's insight involved beyond just my own experience for sure. Um, but, but there was nothing about it that was, um, theoretical in practice because I, I knew this was going to work. Right. And I still do. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very convicted in what it can do for people. So, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting where you, where you're in this, this, I was in a season that was a really, um, difficult season. Right. And it is, and it was really hard. Uh, but part of it is I, I think that because, because it was so personal for me, uh, meaning when some, when something means a lot to you, uh, it's, it's like jet fuel engine or, or, um, gasoline rather it's, it, it, it like enables you to push through certain things. It's the meaning that enables you to kind of keep going. And so because it was so personal for me, there was a part that, there, it, that kind of carried me through what I needed to go through at that time. How many years ago was that? Three. So now you've had the manual. It's probably part of your life on a regular basis. Where do you think that that balance has taken you that you maybe didn't even realize? Like I'm trying to understand like what has been some of the things that like you didn't even expect from your own product to kind of influence and create within your own life? Because there's a lot of times when you create something and you even like writing something, even like writing a book or writing a blog post for myself, I'm usually the first person that needs that advice that I write. I'm like, that's really good advice. I should take it. So I'm interested, like where your product actually took you to a place that like you still needed to learn to, to create. And I'm wondering some of that experience that came out of it. Man, great question. I'll say that because you've, you've, I'm, you maybe have experienced this already using the most manual, but because, because the questions are oriented the way they are, they essentially meet a person wherever they're at right? They kind of, they kind of form to the person in their state of life. And so my practice with the monk manual has changed over time, right? It's, it's kind of bringing up to me new levels of honesty, new levels of awareness around what's really going on in my life. Cause I do think it like, we're even to ourselves, we're, we're often like an onion. We're not really often very, uh, whether it's conscious or honest, uh, with ourselves, there's a lot of layers. When I first launched the Monk Manual, um, I think there was still a lot of attachment to trying to drive certain outcomes. I think I've had to um, detach a little bit, in part because one of the things that you end up finding as an entrepreneur is there's just not as much control as you would imagine that you have over outcomes. I think that applies to all areas of life, not just entrepreneurship. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is where you really feel it. Sure. But I feel like that's the lesson that everybody needs to learn, that control is just an illusion. But when you learn as an entrepreneur, like you can't influence and only pull so many levers to actually change things. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I want to say um, I, one of the terms that I use around the monk's manual is this concept of trusting the process. I kind of feel like that's intimately tied to my own personal growth path is my ability to actually trust that if I keep on just doing my best, doing the right things, that things will work out. Uh, because there's a lot of things that, um, so 
The other side of that control piece, the, the reason that control piece is difficult is because it does require some level of trust. Like it, it feels like you're vulnerable, but things, what you end up finding or what I end up, what I think I found is a lot of stuff often won't go the way I expect it to go. They call but that it ends up going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does go, it does go somewhere. And, and sometimes it goes better, right? Or it goes in an unexpected way. Certain things like maybe I'm hoping, pushing for things to go in one direction with a particular project. It doesn't really work out, but then some other serendipitous thing happens where, um, you know, you just don't know. We live in like a really dynamic environment. So the things is like, you never know what's going to happen. So it's, 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 it, it actually comes down to, I think, I think me at my best is, being able to stay true to like a practice, like a daily practice where I am just trying to every day do the right habits, do the right things, keep showing up. And then I don't know when the right like ball comes, I hit it. You know what I mean? Cause I'm ready. Cause I've been training in the off season essentially. Um, so, so I, I would say the biggest thing is an increase in a certain level of detachment and trying to foster more of a sense of being in, in my daily life. I do think I've gotten a lot better at it. Uh, I think that it is, I think you find people who are either really good at doing, at least in our audience, you find people who are really good at doing and they're like, I really need to get this being part in because I feel like I'm just going too much in this one direction. Or you have people on the other side where they feel like they're really good at being and they're really present, but they feel like they're not really reaching their potential because they're not really moving anywhere. They're just kind of there. And I do think that we all really yearn for a sense of fullness. And I think the only way, I think that that fullness is not only a fullness of experience in the present moment. It's not only being there for your life, present to your life, but it also is reaching a certain level of your potential. I think it does require action. I think it does require a full level of being and doing, which is it which is hard, right? It's, it's kind of a, it's like a lifetime of work. In your very first page of the monk manual, you have, and you were talking about fullness, so I feel like this is a good time to key it up. You say the key to living a full life is to focus on what's important now. What is important right now for you? Right now it's talking to you. I mean, right now. Um, I try to actually be present, right? To, to the thing that I'm attending to. I mean, to be totally transparent, I'm in, I'm in a season with the monk manual where we're in a period of growth. So it's important for me to go and I'm working on a new product that I'm hoping to launch in the fall. And that's really important for me to get that done because there's certain deadlines and that's important. Um, my kids are really important. My wife's really important. Um, I think being true to my, not true to myself, but true to the season of life that you're in. Yeah, it's true to, true to the season of life I'm in. I really want to be a good man. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I just in some ways, I want to be a, a good man. And that's not always the easiest thing to be, especially like when you're really honest with yourself, right? It's like actually way harder to be a good man than, um, than it would, it would appear at first. Um, so that's, that's really important to me. Um, a little abstract, but important. And I think when you just talked about the being a good man, I think that's part of the onion, peeling it back. And I think part of being a good man is one, just kind of keeping your word, like the basic stuff. But then I think to be a good man, you actually have to be the man that you were meant to be. Like going back to that being component, like uh, 
a dad that's a robot or a man that's a robot that just flows through the static flow of what everybody else does as a man, like that's not being a man because being a man is representing yourself, understanding your power, understanding what you can do, understanding your influence. And that still takes a lot of growth. That still takes a lot of inner work and a lot of hard questions. I know that from my story of being able to take what I've done, talk about it openly in a podcast, talk about my emotions, talking about different moments where I broke down crying. Like this is really where you kind of reveal who that man is and where you can make peace. Like that's the other thing I think that leads to what your monk manual would facilitate towards is peace with the man that you are right now. But then you're also crafting the man you're becoming. But then you're also conscious of the man you were. Like it's kind of like this trifecta of knowing where you are perfectly okay knowing the man you want to become where you still have work to do, but then conscious of the past, it does matter, but it doesn't influence you. And it can actually help can help you propel you into a brighter future as well. I don't know if everyone's like this, but I think as I've peeled back the onion at various points, I've recognized like certain levels of like self-hatred. Right. And I think that something that's been helpful for me, sometimes that's tied to in, in most instances, that's tied on some level to a lie like we believed in our, uh, around ourselves, right? Like we've just got this really critical voice. It's like um, it's like we're the the world's like worst manager. Like if you could imagine having a, a manager or boss, like the way we talk to ourselves, we would never we would think. Or as a veteran, like, what kind of person screams at their kids? Like yeah. as a yeah. veteran, there's kind of this thought of like after you've done something or reacted in it or just kind of let the the demon out that you maybe haven't dealt with, there's a next thought that comes in like, who am I and what kind of monster actually does that? And like, then you label yourself as this monster and then this lie starts getting oxygen and starts growing. And then you start to believe you're a monster. So then you start protecting yourself and the people you love because you don't want to hurt them. And then you start pulling yourself back and then you're, you're, you're isolating from even acknowledging who you need to be versus even working through your own demon. Yeah. And, and the other side of that is like often that voice that gets expressed with the kids, like, you're also hearing that internally, right? Like that same voice is probably screaming at you internally at different points, right? And your own kind of inner child. And there's, um, so, so there's that, there's that level to it. And then there's also a certain level where I've, at, at least in my own life, I think I've noticed that sometimes that, that self-hatred is actually, whether it's, whether it's a defense mechanism or whether it's intentional, I, I don't, I don't know how all that works, but there is some level of, of that manifesting as a way for me not to take responsibility. Because the thing is, if I can go and say, Ben, this way or whatever it is, uh, then it's not something that actually is begetting a response of needing to act or to improve, right? Or even if it is, it's improving in a way that's like very heavy handed, like you're bad, so you need to go and improve. It's not a... Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of counterproductive, uh, I think sometimes um, the more critical voice. So I, I think um, that might be another thing that's been going on for me. It's, it's interesting. It's funny, actually, I wasn't expecting to be answering questions like in this genre. So um, it's good that we're going there. I actually love this type of stuff. I, I do think it's funny. I'm only, I don't know what it's like to live in another person's head, but my sense is that this idea of like trusting the process of like the being and doing thing. And even the like, not only coming to grips with like a certain honesty about self, um, but then being able to not necessarily move away from like whatever that self-hatred thing is, but maybe to move through it, to like accept the things that are there to accept like 
who you are, but also to be able to kind of take that and grow through it. I think that's, I think that's probably a very common experience. And I don't know, because again, I'm not in everyone's head, but I think that's probably something a lot of people go through. I know with the dads that I work with, the most common thing that we spend almost the first two weeks working with is really figuring out where they are on the map, like identifying the stories that got them there, identifying how their love languages are actually wiring them to not take accountability for their own life and letting other people try to fulfill these areas to make them feel loved, maybe from a gap within their early life. And within that context, I also learned that when you reframe these stories, you can also then learn how you can move forward with it. And I've dove in deeper into this. There was a uh, uh, Morgan Schneider came on my podcast last uh, last fall, and he told me this quote from Proverbs fourteen four: "Where there is oxen, there is life. Where there are no oxen, there is no life." And within that, he translated it to American English, and he's like, "It takes a lot of shit to make good soil, and great soil bears great fruit." And within that, like that helps you understand that like that voice, that demon, that story, that argument, like it's not something that you ever turn off. I don't think a monk that goes off into be a monk that shuts off the world and chooses one world. If he came from a traumatic background, I don't think he ever turns that voice off. I think he just learns to make peace with it and understand that like he gets a voice, but he doesn't get a vote in my life. But when you learn to reframe that, like most of the people that climb to a higher point in life, Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey, they just had a lot of shit early on that they learned how to work into the soil is not something that held them back, but it allowed them to grow something amazing from it. And I think that's the reframe that I know I got stuck in where what I do now helping dads is essentially going back and helping people that were in the same spot I was and taking my shit and working it back in and using it to propel my life into the future and figure out more of things that I'm capable of. Yeah. It's really interesting because I do think, the life of a monk can be perceived as someone running away from something. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I, I, a, a monk goes into the desert on one level to face themselves, right? It's, it's not to run away from themselves. <laughs> it's because when you take away all the distractions, all there is, is, is your demons. And then what do you do with that? I think that's one of the things ultimately that, I, I do hope is a fruit of the monk manual for people is through a practice of actually slowing down and reflecting that you slowly are able to bring certain things that are maybe buried close to the surface. Uh, not so you can go and deny them or even uh, push them to the side. Or uh, I think it's really about integration, right? It's It's about coming to allow that which is to be accepted as what it is and then to integrate and, and do something with, right? To almost, in a sense, partner with whatever that experience was, pain was, whatever it is, right? It, it all, the thing is, is oftentimes like the, the stuff in us that we even want to avoid, when it comes up, it can have a lot of energy around it, but energy is just energy uh, and it can be used in a really positive way. I have a friend who, um, he taught me this specifically around something like anxiety anxiety in and of itself is just energy, right? You can actually use anxiety in a very positive way um, if you can learn to use it in a positive way. But it, that's that's all it is, is an energy, you know? Have you read uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? I have, yeah. And what you were speaking to reminded me of that book because he had to learn when everything is stripped away, he's only got the thoughts and wits of his own mind. 
And what is a man left with when the world that he's created outside of himself is stripped away, getting sent to a concentration camp and trying to find purpose and meaning in the middle of hell and the most darkest times of his life. But even that in itself, learning to identify those stories, identify things that he was telling himself, putting himself, buried himself into work, letting his work define who he was. He created something that's still moving people through time and through their own stories 80 years later. Yeah. And that is, um, honestly, that the thing that inspires me, I don't want to say the most, cause I haven't, <laughs> I haven't thought through this in depth enough, but it's, it's, it's heavily inspiring to me is the concept of using my own struggles, my own personal journey and, and saying, I'm going to take like the dragons that I personally have to kill, like the treasure on the other side, I'm going to go and share with other people. Right. And so that maybe they can avoid the same pitfalls or maybe they can, um, I don't know that there's just, there's something redemptive about that. And I think that's what you've, you read in a book like that. Cause I mean, that guy was in really like a literal hell on earth and still was able to find meaning and purpose and, and it wasn't just like a made up meaning and purpose, right? Like what you were alluding to, there's still people who are being deeply impacted by uh, the work he did. And um, there's so much potential for impact in our life that sometimes we're asleep to, right? Like, like, it, like when I think of my family, when I think of the people who are coworkers with me, when I think of even like this call, right? Like there's, there's a way that I can have a positive impact on either the people listening or on you, or you're having an impact on me. It's like, there are so many ripple effects of everything we're doing all the time. Like the, there's so much potential for meaning in everything we do. And, and so th that's, that's in a sense, what I want to orient myself towards is how do I take the, the labor of my hands, but also the, 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 the pain that I've maybe experienced in different ways. And how do I, how do I, how do I turn that into a gift? Right. How do I, how do I, translate that into something creative. I really appreciate that because what you're speaking to, I want to go into tie it to fatherhood is sometimes we don't, as men, we don't even realize we have potential because our father's words that we repeat repeated and here is like, why try? You're going to mess it up. You're a failure. You're an idiot. And that is the only voice we can hear. We don't do anything special and it takes decades, if not the entire life of our life before we realized that we were living someone else's opinion of us that we never had the choice to rewrite, which we do. And that's what I help dads a lot. Just identify some of those early stories that they're reliving. But this is why fatherhood is so important. And like a dad coming home and being a good dad is your words are like oxygen to their fire. And they all have a furnace inside. And as a dad, you have the ability to add oxygen to that fire to stoke it. So that when they're 18, they don't go off into the world like unsure of themselves. They go off into the world with a furnace so bright and, and strong that they can believe anything is possible. Because they know that they don't need the world to validate something that they can believe to be true on the inside and then just do it. But so many people wait for Instagram to approve it, wait or worry to mean people are going to not like something. Or if I don't get five people to tell me it's a good idea, I'm not going to do it. I mean, if your Kickstarter campaign would have been a failure, you might have said like, well, this is just the universe telling me I suck. And you could have instantly said that or you could just double down on it. Thankfully, it wasn't. But like there's so many moments like that. And this is why I love fatherhood, because we have such an ability to just impact the small circle within our family 
But truly, if you do impact them with your words, your appreciation, your your affirmations for them, like that's how you can like continue to impact the world well beyond your time here. And that's I always preach that because that's essentially the core of fatherhood. And when you can pass that on and encourage those kid your kids to do that, that's where the real juices of fatherhood come to play. And 20 years from later, you'll be like, you, you almost don't believe what they're able to do because of how you showed up early in your life. But then you think of the gratitude that like, man, those little micro moments where I showed up and was present, when I hugged her when she was crying, all of those little moments when I reminded my daughter that her love comes from the inside, not from the outside. Like all of those gave her the courage to have go out in the world and do something bigger than I could ever imagined. One of one, you had asked the question earlier of what's really important in my life right now. And a lot of times the reason people struggle with productivity or even have this feeling of always being behind is there's so many competing demands in life, right? There, it, it's, it's not, there, there's an idea that we have a really hard time focusing. I don't really think we have a hard time focusing. I think we have a, we have a hard time getting clear about what's most important actually. And so we're kind of just spread in all these different directions, right? It's not that we know what we should be doing and we just can't focus on it. In a lot of instances, we really just truly don't know what's most important and what's not. A shortcut for knowing what is most important, or this is one filter at least to run up against it, is what are the things that are the hardest to outsource, right? So if you're married, um, you're the only person who can be a husband to your wife, right? That's not something that you could just hire someone else to do, right? That's a very key relationship that has a very key function. And as a father, it's the same thing, right? Like you're the only person who can fill that role for, for those kids. And not only does that bear a certain responsibility and importance, um, but that's also where you often end up finding, again, a lot of the, the meaning because it's in those roles where they're, um, I, it's, it's actually really interesting. I don't know what everyone's experience is with, with, with fatherhood, but I do think sometimes it's hard to know it's hard to imagine just how much potential impact you actually have on kids and, and through them on the world. I was actually just this past week, I was sitting, we just moved into a new house. My, my wife has these like shelves and she's um, decked them out with all these different things like artwork from the kids and different stuff. And, and no one was home. And I was looking at it and I was thinking to myself, it was the first time I was really noticing it. And I was seeing all these different things. And I was like, man, this is like a little representation of our life. There's like, things from different um, periods of our life, different artwork, different books, all these different things. And it was interesting because it was almost like I was looking at real time at the scrapbook of my whole life. And it put me in this whole place of thinking about, you know, what really is important to me? And I was thinking about the monk manual and I was reflecting on, uh, I, I laid down on the couch and I was actually reflecting. And I was like, well, what it, like at some point the monk manual will be over. Like, what do I actually even want out of life? It's funny. You asked this question earlier and I didn't think of this, but this, I was really in a deep place, like asking myself, like, what is it that looking back, I'd be like, this is what I really wanted. And at the time, at least I just kept on picturing my kids, like just walking down the aisle. Just, I was actually just thinking about my kids as adults, as like the thing that probably is going to be the most meaningful thing for me at the end of my life, right? There was something really inspiring to me about that at the time. Uh, I think there is more, there's a bigger scope, but it did put in perspective. Like I'm really passionate about the monk manual. We've been talking a lot more about kind of like personal stuff, but if we were talking about um, 
some of the background to it. Like I, I can get really fired up, but not the same way. It doesn't mean as much to me as my kids do, you know? And, and there's just a problem that when I project way out and I'm thinking about when I'm 80, I don't even know if I'll care that much. You know what I mean? I do care. I care a lot, but I don't know if when I'm 80, I'll care that much, you know? Yeah. I've, I've heard it or I've, I kind of always give this advice is what we do on this earth is important, but what we leave behind is 10 times more important. So it's, it's, it's good that men have, it's, it's good that men find things to do and that to be able to leave their mark in whatever way, but the mark that you leave behind with your kids, that's the one that's really going to matter. And you don't often, especially are the cages that our kids are like, it's an incubator lab. You don't really know what's going to stick and what's not. You've got evidence from nine-year-old that you're applying to your three-year-old and you're like seeing what works and you repeat it. But then you really don't know, like, am I setting myself up for bad teenage years? Am I setting myself up for good teenage years? And it's all just kind of this experiment that you don't get to witness until 20 years later. And you've, then you get to be like, wow, that, that was something we talked about when we were nine. And now it just turned out later. And it's just like, you get that full visibility and even like prioritizing your commitments. If you think of productivity, a lot of what that is, is like keeping your word, making sure you commit and getting done with what you get done. But the one thing that I had to kind of relearn was the longest commitment in my life is going to be to my wife and then my kids, like everything else that I commit to with my time will have an expiration date. At some point that will be over and done. But those commitments keep going until I'm six feet under. But we often don't have that connection and purpose and meaning and drive towards what that commitment really means to make sure that that commitment does make it to the finish line. And that's really what's going to matter. But and even my life today, I'm a stay at home dad, an entrepreneur. When I lost my job in January of 2020, like I knew that this season is the one that dads want back when they're 50. And I was like, I'm just going to double down and figure out how to make it work because this is the season I'm going to want back. I'm never going to wish I went and got a job. I'm never going to wish I spent more time doing anything other than being dad right now. So that also sets me up for a dichotomy of trying to balance it all. But at the same time, I know which hard I've chosen because going and getting a job is just as hard as staying here. But this is the hard that's going to increase the dividends on where my kids go and the connection I have with them. Yeah. And there definitely is, you were alluding to this earlier, but the, one of the things that's really difficult about the parenting dynamic is it is such a long feedback loop, right? It, it's the thing is, I think for a lot of us, we look at, um, like there's no, there's no guidebook per se on parenting, right? So what most of us do is we say, all right, this is what our parents did. That seemed like that was a pretty good thing for it to do in for this thing or that thing, but we don't like this thing and that other thing. Right. So we look at our parents and we say, we'll take this, we'll leave that. And then we just try it out. <laughs> and even that feedback loop you're talking about when you're saying you apply the things with your nine-year-old to your three-year-old or whatever it might be. It is such a, it's such a long cycle, right? It, it's like, I don't think you really know the impact of what you have on a kid now until they're maybe 25, because there's so many different seasons, right? At, like I'll sometimes see, even take something as simple as like punishment, right? Or discipline. You'll see kids who it's like the kids seem really well behaved, right? Like maybe the parents are very authoritarian or whatever it is. And that can look really good. I, I just don't know if it's going to look good at 25. You know what I mean? I think the kids look really well behaved now. So again, it goes, to, I, I guess it's like parenting in, in this spousal relationship too. It goes back to that idea of kind of trusting the process in the, in the, in the daily practice, right? If like my daily practice with my kids is to just really love them to the best of my ability and try to 
avoid, I was just playing racquetball this morning and um, it's like in tennis. Well, for most sports, there's this concept of like unforced errors, right? It's like try to make as many like unforced errors, right? Just love them, do what you can model being a, I I actually tend to think that the most important thing that I'm going to do as a father is who I, who I am, who, like what I model, you know what I mean? It's, it's like who I am. It's, it's not necessarily whether I'm getting to read during the summer. It's not necessarily, it might not even be the school. I do think relationships and who their friends are is going to be really important. Um, but I think a lot of it's just like, who's the man that I am? You know what I mean? If I'm a, if I'm a good man, they'll at least listen to what I have to say. I would think, um, if you have daughters, doesn't matter. I was, yeah, I do have a daughter. That's my youngest though. So I haven't really had ton of experience. Yet. So the, you're hitting on something that, uh, I always talk about and always get excited for fatherhood because the, I always, I always frame it this way. The dad with the shotgun of the door is the dad to set the bar low in his life that didn't really demand. He didn't really maybe set the best example of way to treat a woman or his wife. And he's afraid of who his daughter is going to bring home because she's always going to use her dad. Cause that is the first love she's ever had to go off into the world and find it. Now, in an extreme example, where if the father doesn't have a connection to his daughter, doesn't hug, doesn't show affection, and the father and daughter don't have a relationship, she is that much more likely to go off into the world and find someone to be more of a physical connection than to actually be a romantic connection. And like, if you think of any girl that's had like daddy issues or anything like that, that gets labeled with that, that's often from that not having that first connection to her first love, which is her father. But if you set the bar high and model it correctly, you don't really have to worry who she's going to bring home because every time she's doing it, she's going to eventually come to the conclusion, this guy's not my dad. She's not going to know that's what she's doing, but she'll always eventually come to the conclusion on her own. Like, yeah, I keep comparing this guy to my dad and he's missing these few key components and she's going to keep trying better. And so if she's not going to keep trying better unless we try better. And so she's always going to try to rise to the level of our life that we set up for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, um, <laughs> Yeah. So there's a lot of work to be done there. I think I, I, but you're young. Yet, it, so you got a lot of time to, yeah. to, to catch up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or make sure that, uh, everything goes in the right directory. There was another thing that I think probably the, the monk manual really helps that I've been talking about this idea of parenting to the curve. And when you parent to the curve, it's not worrying about everything being perfect. It's worrying about making sure that the average is kind of where you want it to, that you're not going to win every moment. You're not going to discipline every moment and you can't catch every fight that the kids have together. So you're going to let some go. You're going to put your foot down for others. And it's that mode that you're going to kind of parent to. And so like for me, I find a lot of like peace when I do that, where it's not about catching every single moment. Sometimes they just need to argue. Sometimes they just need to figure it out because eventually this is going to be something that happens in the real world. They're going to be able to figure out how to do it without someone interfering. And so I don't always interfere. I don't always step in. And sometimes I'm just busy and I'm like, this is one of those that's going to slide. But then there's other moments where I slow down. I discipline the way I give her a timeout correctly or him timeout, whatever it may be. But then there's times where I'm really firm. There's other times where I have to slack because I'm parenting to that curve. And it's that perfectionism that kind of tied to back productivity. I think if you read uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done, there is this idea, like he says, mind like water, that yes, I should be able to graduate to this level that I operate at peak efficiency all day long. That's not really how life works. And I feel like we just set ourselves up because I started in that productivity trap. I read David Allen's book and I was like, this is the best book ever. And then started applying it and was only finding success with a few things, but I didn't find that peace, 
that I was looking for. What's actually really interesting about the productivity space in general, right? I, I mean, I have, like I was saying, I have the kind of people skewed more towards being or more towards doing, but in general, people who buy planners tend to be a bit more type A, generally speaking. I'm a little bit of anomaly because since it is almost like planner journal-esque, you kind of draw different crowds. But a lot of times, people who are more um, oriented towards goal tools, things like that, are a little bit more um, hard driving. They want to get things done, right? And the back side of that or the dark side of that, the shadow side of that is that there often is like lurking behind that certain level of perfectionism. Not always, um, but certainly there's a lot of perfection. Or someone else's expectations probably, or some someone else's story that they're trying to live up to. Like if they had to get A's in order to get validation, they probably feel like they have to get everything done in order to feel that same validation. Even though in adulthood, no one ever shows up with that feeling. So they probably start chasing that feeling, trying to get someone to be that. I mean, I know early in my career, I was kind of set up and waiting for this moment where someone would come up to me in my cubicle and be like, Ben Cloy, you can take a break. I'm proud of you. Yeah. No one ever did. You never got the trophy. I never got the trophy. never showed up until I realized that like, oh, I need to accept responsibility for myself. I need to just be okay with being proud of myself and not look for other person to validate that because you just create these trip wires that you keep tripping over and wondering why you keep blowing your leg off. Yeah. And, 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 and if you're shooting for a hundred percent score, um, the, most of us have some level of a coefficient where we tend to think things take less time than they actually do. And so uh, if you're already in a situation where you're saying, I'm going to get all this done, you're probably already not planning it correctly because you think things are going to take less time than they do. And then you add into that, the fact that life happens. And I mean, you were alluding to the fact that your, your kids are there and you're doing a garage sale, right? Like who knows some things come up, right? My kids could fall down the stairs and all of a sudden we're spending three hours in the, like yesterday, actually, there was someone who um, I really value their, um, advice. And we've been trying to set up a call. And then yesterday morning, they're like, Hey, can you talk at 10? Right. Okay. I wasn't planning on spending time. Uh, but it just happened. Like it was important to me and I had to drop things. So there's kind of this loose holding that I think needs to happen or things work best when they can happen that way. Um, but I also, I, I still, I think that the ideal is that you, have a plan and an intention for things. And then you can operate with a certain level of detachment where you're, where you're trying to look at things objectively to say, okay, what happened here? What didn't? Um, but at the same time, um, I, I guess it goes back to the control thing, right? Knowing that you can't necessarily control it. Um, but you can control yourself to the degree that you can, um, be honest with yourself. You know, I would put a cherry on top to tie back to your own wisdom, of in those moments where it's sliding back and forth and you feel like you're losing control, but at the same time you don't have control and you're trying to be productive that the thing to season it with is, well, what's what important right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, right before this call, uh, what often happens for me is I'll think I'm going to get this stuff done this week, right? Even using the monk manual, the monk manual helps, but still stuff doesn't go always according to plan, right? So I'm using the monk manual Usually by Friday, things have gone a little bit off kilter. Things just don't, I mean, I'm working with other people, certain things get held up, certain things move forward faster. It's just so hard to, because we're living in such a dynamic thing and we have relationships, right? Um, And just this morning I was thinking, yeah, I got 
more to do today than I can actually get done. And right after this call, my plan is to go and say, what are the things that actually are important and, and uh, need to get done versus the things I was planning on getting done, but I'm going to have to just kick them and be okay with just kicking them because it's just not realistic. The alternative is for me to be like, maybe I'll just try and get it all done. And then I don't, I just feel bad about it. Right. Or I don't. And I end up feeling kind of like burnt out because I'm, I'm stretching myself too, too far. Right. Um, and, and the downside is when you play that game of like, I'm just going to try and get it done, try and get it done. You're always living almost like with a feeling of debt. And you're always living with a feeling of never actually having accomplished anything because you're taking a loss every single time. You're always like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And I'm behind. It's like, it's like every day you open your bank account, you're seeing like you lost some money that day. And that's a terrible feeling, right? So it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. And the other side of that is I also think because there isn't the constraints and the boundaries, it doesn't force you to say no to things. And really, I believe that the only way you can be more productive is by saying no to the things that don't matter, or maybe that no, I shouldn't say don't matter, don't matter as much <laughs> because, because often it's choosing between competing goods. It's not a good and a bad. It's, hey, this would be great if I did this. It'd be great if I worked out for two hours every day. I can't do that though. I'd be really jacked right now if I did that, but I can't do that. So I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to do other things, but I'll say no to that so I can do these other things that are more important, you know? I love the way you framed it because as a solopreneur, I'm the only one that kind of creates my own work. I'm the only one that accepts work into my life. And there are days where I have that exact same feeling where just didn't have enough cohesion. And especially this last year and a half, because I'm either running my daughter to preschool when it was school year time or in the summer, my wife's home because she's a teacher, the kids are home. So there's life is always abundant around me. And so it's always being reminded me that there's other life going on while I'm choosing to be here. And on those days, I almost... I go the opposite. Unless there is someone that like physically is waiting for a reply to do some work because I haven't replied to them, I pull the entire plug and I go be dead. I almost always err down that like if I've stacked so much work that I feel like I need to sit at my desk for hours to get it done, especially as a solopreneur, I realize that's probably not work. That was just me being busy. And I'm going to actually, in many of these times where I've done that, I remember one moment last August of 2020, I had the same moment. I was like, I'm just overwhelmed. Let's go for a bike ride. Five seconds into that bike ride, I was like, you know what? I think I could start a stay-at-home daily dad podcast. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I'm trying to figure it out. I like putting things together. I like podcasting. But I didn't really feel like it was a really good idea. That idea that I had because I just chose to go bike riding incubated for six months and or even longer than that now, probably like 10 months. And I launched the Daily Dad podcast, not where I originally had it, but for the business of fatherhood, which is meant for more widespread dads. But it came because I said no to work and going into my sense of like my um, zone of genius would be another word we'd call it. And that idea. So often when I unplug and go do that kind of stuff, I find that that's actually where my more juices of like going something bigger and like doing something different actually come to fruition. And there was one other thing that I would season and it just came to me a couple of months ago when I was watching a video that there's this idea of asking, will it make the boat go faster? So there was this British um, Olympic team in like the 70s that were training to win the Olympics for the rowboat. And they had this mantra, if it didn't make the boat go faster, they really didn't do it. So they removed all the nonsense from their life and they sacrificed everything. Kind of what you were talking about. If you remove everything, you can do anything. And they would always say, will this make the boat go faster? Yes, they did it. No, they wouldn't do it. And the same thing kind of like when you have that long to-do list, I think 
will it make the boat go faster? Will it make monk manual propel farther? And if it's a no, like, okay, well, then it probably wasn't that important. It can wait till next week. But if it would make the boat go faster, prioritize that and be dad and the rest. Yeah. One of the, one of the most difficult things for us to, I think, hold in our consciousness as we're working is action does not equal progress, right? So just acting, just getting things done does not necessarily mean that you're moving the ball down the field, right? Like you can race very fast in the wrong direction, or you could just drive, like I could drive 60 miles per hour around the block 30 times and I'm going fast. I'm getting a lot done, but I'm not in a different place than when I started, right? Um, so, but that is hard. It is hard to kind of hold that in. Um, like the thing is, it's like that, that racing team, they were looking at that in a very intentional way. And I think that is how you ultimately get there is it, it actually takes that level of pulling back of reflecting, which is counterintuitive. Like when you said, Hey, I'm not going to go and do this. I'm going to step away. And then you kind of had this, this stroke of genius or like insight to go and do this other thing. Like that's counterintuitive. Your, your probably impulse or natural impulse for a lot of people is like, I got to go, I got to go and attack this thing. I got to get this done is to, to step away um, takes a high level of awareness, right. And intentionality. And so, yeah, that, that's something that also, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I, I do think that's something that's like, it's like playing a sport. Like you get better over time. You start noticing things, you start noticing things about yourself, about when you get triggered in certain ways or how, what, you know what I mean? Like you start learning kind of your own game. You start, you start moving from that example of like the, the manager who's maybe uh, really dominating and probably doesn't actually even understand how to manage really well to like a truly good manager for yourself. Right. Which is ultimately like what we want to become is like, if you can imagine the ideal manager, which like a leader is a person who sees the potential in someone before they do. Right. So to be that and to help really foster yourself, that takes work, but it's also, it's, it's a different, it's a different game you're playing on an ongoing basis. Cause you kind of have to have that app running in the back of your mind. This kind of like self-coaching mentality. Right. And I would actually even tie it to the monk manual as kind of this gift wrap bow that the piece that you create daily within the monk manual gives you that that space and that clearing to see truly what will make the boat go faster. Because it's when you surround yourself with the noise that the, the fog kind of sets in and you actually don't even really know your bearing anymore. And you don't know which direction you're running. You're running, but you can't actually see any progress. But it's that daily commitment to find a place of peace. Like meditation is a lot of times that place for people. And being able to find that piece, get the clearing, and have the wisdom to see the distance, but see the present, and just acknowledge where you are. And again, ask what's important right now, and double down in that commitment every day. You're going to sway off of that, but revisiting it, I think, is that repetition that we need and we don't have within our American society. It's just all about do, 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 and bye, bye, bye. It's the slowing down and seeing what's really important right now one of the things that was really interesting to me is when I started researching productivity, uh, what you actually find is that the word productive, there's things on Google and other, other where, where you can find kind of the, um, the popularity of different words. Right. So productive really started skyrocketing as a term around the industrial revolution. Right. And, then it started dipping with the world wars and then came back up around like 80s and 90s, which makes sense. You have people like David Allen, you have like Stephen Covey. There's kind of this second wave of like productivity. 
Um, but what's really interesting is um, productivity originally comes from the same root uh, terminology as produce. It comes out of like agriculture, right? And this, and this model of like agriculture just makes so much more sense to me as a, as a model for productivity versus the assembly line model, right? The assembly line model is like, all right, move the widgets, move the widgets, optimization, optimization, like closer and closer to this like robotic thing versus this like ongoing tending, this ongoing cultivation of certain things, this kind of creative, um, abundant uh, approach, which maybe isn't as controllable, right? Um, but it does it does feel more true. <laughs> like it, there, there's something that you get to a different end result through that. You know what I mean? You end up actually creating life in some ways through that model versus this very um, taskmaster approach. Amen to that, Stephen. And to wrap up the interview, one question for you. What is your best piece of dad advice that you want to make sure that everybody hears out there listening? So one of the, one of the concepts behind the monk manual is gratitude. And I'm not naturally great at gratitude, but I did have an experience once in meditation where it became, I was, I was listening to my kids in the background. Um, my wife was in the kitchen and it occurred to me that I was the only person who would ever hear that soundtrack, right? That exact moment, what I was hearing, it was the only, I was the only person who'd ever experienced that exact moment. And so my advice would be to recognize that like every smile you see your kids have, every time you see them laugh, every time you even see them cry, you're the only person who's going to be experiencing that exact roll of footage, right? And um, I think you'll end up finding a tremendous amount of gratitude just come out of that, which then can kind of funnel back in and I think make you a better father. It's not definitely something we haven't heard before, but I like the frame that go and it just grounds like in the present and being there. And at the end of the day, what matters right now is making sure that I remember what just happened versus letting it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good, man. Thanks so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate just the, the, the depthness of the conversation that we went to, but then also just kind of the width that we also, we went in a lot of different areas and, I think within what military dads struggle with, I think we hit on a lot of those things and there'll be information on how to go and grab your monk manual down in the show notes. So I appreciate you coming on the the show today, Stephen, and I look forward to continuing to build this friendship that is just getting started. Thanks so much, Ben. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. I hope you got as much out of it that I did. If you want to continue to support the podcast, make sure you help us get discovered. If you have not left a iTunes review, please go ahead and over there and leave one. A lot of other players have review ability to comment or leave a review to help other people find them. You can also head over to Podchaser and leave a review over there. It's agnostic and you can do it on any different phone. It's not just for Apple fans. So, but those reviews on all the different places where you're listening to podcasts, Look for a place to rate and review that episode that you're listening to because those help the podcast get discovered. And this episode is definitely one that needs to get discovered. But my big takeaway, if you were taking notes, probably isn't a big shock because I threaded it and came back to it a couple different times. What is important now? What is important now? That was the big question that I felt this episode answered 
and also brought to the surface of how much power can come from asking what's important now. Because let's face it, dads, all the different things that we have going on in life, all the different thinking that we have to deal with, all the different worry, all the different maybe even just baggage that we carry on, maybe we're still worrying, working on going through some of our journey, all of that stuff can really weigh you down. But focusing on what's important right now really brings you to the absolute present. Like he said, I'm interviewing on this podcast right now. This right now is the most important thing right now and letting go of anything else in the future. That was something that really resonated with me, hit me on a deep level, and just as something I'm going to be taking away from this episode, continuing. I remember it from when I recorded it and getting it ready for today. I also was reminded that I need to bring that back in, especially with all the different milestones I've had in the last month. That was just what I needed to hear as well, listening to this episode. So guys, have an awesome week. I hope this episode got you juiced up focused to slay whatever demons you need to slay this week to come home and have a great Friday with your family this upcoming week. And we'll talk soon.